As the ice and snow fell and the cold winter blew outside this week, Cambridge's arts community lit the fires of debate and convened their annual conference at Anglia Ruskin University. The whole problem of taking the economically precarious and often fragile talents of creatives in Cambridge's schools, universities and art colleges and nurturing them into successful careers in the creative industries was the focus of the session. The great need for guidance and support for artists and the potential fruits of the payback into the city's cultural life went hand in hand as key prerogatives. Cambridge Arts Network is a forum of over 1,100 professional creatives and cultural practitioners and organisations operating in the Cambridge area and is coordinated by the City Council. Entitled Embracing Potential, Pathways to Supporting and Developing Career in Native and Cultural Industries, the conference sought to debate and discuss key issues facing the sector and to share news, views and opportunities with visiting professionals. A key concern was the high level of growth in a city of 143,000 residents with 4.5 million annual visitors and the threat to the arts and cultural activity of rapid development which doesn't necessarily respect the diverse local community. Harriet Richards, head of Cambridge School of Art, opened the proceedings and welcomed the delegates and said how important art is to happy and fulfilling lives in the city and solving its problems and also how her goal was to produce graduates with enterprising, entrepreneurial and creative mindsets for creating innovative solutions to influence the solving of the problems of the world and to promote responsible global citizenship as a force for good. After some very positive speeches, delegates were asked to attend breakout sessions on a broad range of subjects, my own on the creative workforce and skill gaps, which looked at the demography of creative industries nationally and locally, and then had a discussion between professionals on the impact of skills gaps on each industry. The need for a basic arts degree and not to run up huge debts in early careers was seen as a major barrier to young creatives, alongside the lack of equal opportunities for those without cultural capital. Yanina Vigas, a professional storyteller from Epic Tales, says it was an engaging session. Yanina, what does telling an epic tale involve for your organisation? It involves working with children and young people across the country, actually, not just in Cambridgeshire, but generally working in schools and getting them really excited and engaged about stories. It doesn't involve books, it very rarely involves props, and it's a really open and pure, honest, almost dialogue between the children and the storyteller. We really we really worked hard to um, engage the children and get them involved, and it's not passive at all. It's teaching them what's actually in a tale that's important, isn't it? Because tales can carry a massive payload of useful things, can't they? Oh, absolutely. Quite often we, um, we have um, staff that come to us and say, can you tell a story that talks about bravery? Can you tell a story that talks about kindness or teaches kindness? And quite often we, we say, mm, yes, we can do that. But quite often the, the themes that arise from the stories that the children choose because that's very much part of what we do as well we let the children choose what stories we tell and very often um, what arises from those stories is quite often not what we are told to go and tell but that makes the experience all the richer for it. Now why did you come to Cambridge Arts Network conference this year? I mean there's lots of interesting people here doing things, why did you come? We came because we as an organisation have supported CAN since the first conference and I've come today specifically to to meet other creatives in the industry and in the area and just to see who's who and what's what and where's where and who's doing what exciting work and to see how 
I can network efficiently to just help us as an organisation work better within the area and ultimately increase or improve the offer of what we uh, what we offer to schools. Now, now we've just been jointly in one of the seminars there we were talking about skills gaps and the demography of the arts sector what do you feel you learned from that? Oh my goodness I learned that I personally live within quite um, a lovely creative bubble um, and that my eyes are, maybe aren't as open as they could be to the skills gaps that are in um, in our area and in the, the industry as a whole it was heartening to hear though um, from other creatives that a lot of people are experiencing the same issues that I am as a, a as a professional in the creative industry um, and maybe we are in our organization as well we also looked at the need for people competent at using state-of-the-art digital art and design tools since as an industry it's moving forward at a fast pace with huge demand from companies and new careers await those with the skills In the Ruskin Gallery, I encountered expert Lee Mason, a digital artist demonstrating spatial art tools working with two hands and a virtual reality headset with a large screen showing what was going on in the artistic cyberspace he was inhabiting and working within. My name's Lee Mason. I'm a digital artist from Cambridgeshire. I'm here to showcase spatial art tools in virtual reality to gain people's feedback on today's proceedings using cutting-edge spatial design tools. So I'm basically trying to show people how intuitive and expressive virtual reality art programmes are. Okay, uh, just for our listeners, uh, basically standing in front of a screen with two handheld wands, effectively, and a virtual reality mask on, and you're reacting to what's going on on the screen and then creating artwork from it. Yeah, I'm painting in 3D, essentially. So I'm using something that hasn't been been afforded to us at all in the history of humanity, really. There's been sculpture and there's been painting, but you've never been able to paint in thin air in three dimensions. So I'm using various different dynamic paintbrushes that are creating polygons in 3D space that are viewable through my virtual reality headset. And then I can theoretically, well, I can upload this so other people can view it in VR, but I can also 3D print it and bring it into the real world if I wanted to. And you can effectively sculpt with those, can't you? You can sculpt. Yeah, essentially you can use digital clay, but without any of the restrictions of having materials or gravity or scale, things like that. Plus, obviously, you've got undo. You've got what is essentially the same as a desktop 3D art program with all of the benefits you get with that, except you're inside the artwork. You've got a one-to-one relationship with that artwork. You can see it at any scale. You can zoom in and do tiny details with your whole body if you want to. So anything that would otherwise be quite hard to replicate in small details in clay can be done with very large precise movements so you get an added added level of detail to anything you create now that enables you to work very quickly doesn't it and also to, to react um, in real time to any kind of inspiration or idea you have immediately that's right yeah it's perfect for 3d sketching uh, uh, you can create spatial artwork all around you you can create mind maps and brainstorm and you can sketch things and you could then export that file or and you could bring it into existing desktop 3d programs to really refine it afterwards but what you've got is a space where you are completely free of distractions and with incredibly intuitive and reactive tools that enable you to get your imagination out into the world with no barrier of entry whatsoever. Now, this is then projected, um, presumably, when you get to um, exhibit what you've done onto a very big screen or a hologram, perhaps even. You can bring it into augmented reality as a hologram. You can put it on a screen 
You could also host a gallery exhibition in VR so people from all over the world can put on a VR headset, walk around, wave to each other, speak to each other, hand objects back and forth, look at your artwork and buy your artwork instantly using uh, cryptocurrency. So, so I mean, digital art is, is moving to- forward in, in leaps and bounds by the sound. Absolutely. Uh, di- this, uh, this, this new spatial computing interface is revolutionising it. Architects are using it to design buildings. You can walk around the building, move the sun through the sky to look at the building at different times of day, move doors and windows and edit that on the fly. Ford uses this soft, sort of software to design their cars. So you can have someone in Tokyo and someone in London working on a car together in VR, handing things to each other. One of them could be working on the dashboard while the other one is doing the, the dynamic wind generation to see whether or not the car is streamlined. You can have 10 of those in the space at once. They haven't got had to get in a plane. They can just sit in their desk. They can work from home. You can use a wireless headset in a car or a train and you can sculpt in 3D space. And then, like I say, you can send that to a large-scale 3D printer, print off rapid prototypes of a, of a product, for instance, or you can create something that is immersive that you can then enjoy in virtual reality. Everything in this software is in my hand. I've got a palette with hundreds of different dynamic brushes. Those brushes can be animated. They can be bubbles or stars, or they can, be, they can replicate clay. I can spray clay into the air like a, like you would sort of like shaving foam, except it's in the air and it's manipulatable afterwards. You can recolor those things. You've got millions of colors to choose from. And uh, you can also model in 3D. You can create 3D shapes on the fly and 3D print those. So I can I can copy a shape, replicate it, and build up objects much more detailed than, what a, than what you see here. What a tremendously dynamic and exciting tool. Thanks very much for sharing it. No problem. Next, we moved on to a presentation from Create Britain, an internet portal project designed to find and share everyone in the UK creative industries in an online directory with enhanced features. Connectivity is a way of remaining employed as a multidisciplinary or perhaps self-employed creative by having an attractive dynamic profile page that's plugged in nationally to people who pay. Artists get a page which shows images, video, interactive 3D, audio, an employment bio and detailed information about them, designed by Richard Woods, a former headhunter, with a chic showcase layout in the fashion that employers need. The site's founders claim it does the marketing for you more efficiently than the other 105 social media sites, which are not specifically fit for purpose for creatives. Founder Richard Woods and co-founder Jeremy Aird introduced the project. We spent the last two years building this. We've been desperately sort of holding ourselves back, wanting to throw it out into the market, but we wanted to get it right. We've spake, again, advantage of us being independent is that we could take our time to get it right before we start to push it out into the market. Okay, can you paint a picture of, um, of how the website works? Yeah, it's really two, you know, two key features. One is to help you find anything and anyone in the creative industry and also for people to promote themselves within the creative industry you know we, we have google out there at the moment which picks up 92 percent of online searches but that doesn't work for independents and small businesses who you know struggle to get on the, the first page and linkedin is is okay for individuals but a lot of creatives just don't feel any association with it can you tell me about your role i thought about create britain probably about eight years ago 
and um, that was off the back of trying to find somewhere that I could plug in. So if you're a multidiscipline creative, there's ver- there's very few places that really are for you or understand you. And with different types of media and the different niches that, that creatives use and have and the skills they have, and one day they're doing music, but the next day they're doing video or, or designing a website or branding, there's nothing really that sort of lets them use... A, a single platform as, as, as a launch pad to, to everything in their creative universe so I can still be doing my Instagram or, or putting tweets out or, you know wherever I am they all link back to my Create Britain profile so if people find me on, on Create Britain they find me absolutely everywhere but, but the important thing is it's everywhere I want them to find me so if, if you want to keep things certain things private and confidential uh, confidential then that is absolutely fine too if you want to write a lot about yourself you can if you don't want to write anything that's fine if you've got video put your video on there if you've got music put your music on there basically put on whatever you want other people to find out about you well it sounds so it's going to make a very big splash in the national creative pool i hope it's a huge success thank you very much thank you very much thank you visiting speaker deborah williams executive director of the creative diversity network talked on how the logical hierarchy in the arts community is being knocked sideways by populism and other movements and new barriers to careers in the arts are arising in the world of work since advancement is no longer necessarily based on reliable merit, track record and expertise and it also threatens to ignore diversity. She indicated that serious artists must lean into this wind of political change and face the reality that dark times may be ahead as the world moves away from art and humanity and that wayward adults need artists to educate them through expression into the light. How did you find today's conference all in all? I enjoyed it actually. I, I, these are the ones I tend to enjoy because it's about people who don't necessarily know, think they know everything about the industry. So it was, quite, it was nice to sort of be around a group of people who, who are willing and want to learn. You gave a rather sort of sombre account of how we were moving into something of a dark age for art and creativity. What do you mean by that? It's connected, I guess, to the idea that expertise and experience don't really count for much, that people can say what they want, that anything that pops into someone's head is more valid than something that is either fact-based or is craft-based. And I think I know a lot of artists have spent a lot of time developing their craft and that's being dismissed as not relevant at the moment. And the space that we are currently in, sort of politically and socially and economically, means that a lot more people are likely to give up being an artist because the barriers they're hitting are quite profound, but also you can't... The, the, not many people are seeing ways through those boundaries. Now, you, you talked about um, leaning into it and, in a way, facing it, facing those barriers. Uh, what are the barriers and how can people do that? Leaning into it is trusting your craft, is trusting and believing that you are as good, frankly, as you think you are, but knowing if, the, if you're not good enough to keep, not be ashamed or afraid to keep learning, to go back, to go away, take time out and learn more. I think a lot of the barriers, some of it is around funding at the moment. Public funding is really challenging. Whether you're in London or not, I think it's still really quite challenging. I think other, 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 some of the things that were brought up today about space, space to create work, space to present work, all of these things are becoming less and less available to people, which sometimes the guerrilla the guerrilla tactics become useful, I think. And, and I think the art of activism within, the, within art and, and art history is something that maybe we need to bring back. We're moving into times where there's great uncertainty, 
you've got this move away from professionalism, expertise, established practice, all of these other things, into this rather more woolly and misunderstood world of new populism and so on and so forth. Um, you were saying that children learn through play and adults learn through art. Do, do you think art will play a major role in educating the adult world about what the issues are in this new world? I, I do believe so and I think what's interesting is people are beginning to find that out for themselves and it's, it's, the, it's the plus side of the internet. You know, there are, we all know what the downsides are, but the plus side of the internet is, as an artist, you can create, put something in, in uh, on that space, and somebody will pick it up. Now, that does that. You know, whether you get 500 or 5 million views doesn't matter, but somebody picks it up, and hopefully, somebody finds a connection with it, which takes them into the next level of who they can be and who they will be. And I think the idea, the populism idea, is it's tragic because it's driven by fear, and uh, finding artists need to find a way to enhance that fear and turn it into something, to um, take that fear and turn it into something completely different. Um, now, some artists, obviously, uh, in an environment like that, will want to become more radical. Yeah. Um, and other artists will want to make um, bold statements about what is actually happening mm -hmm. um, and to create um, artwork that um, changes the way people look on the world. Um, what have you actually witnessed in your, uh, recently among artists in terms of the variety of approaches to those kinds of things? I, I think the, the, the biggest thing I've witnessed was, is what's happened at Battersea Arts Centre in London yeah. uh, with Tourette's Hero and the idea that, that a relaxed venue can exist. So a venue where everybody can feel welcome and find a space to be them to be themselves where noise isn't a problem where all the sorts of things that, that usually you get told to stop doing in theatre you, you are allowed to do and are able to do in theatre I think that's a, that, at the moment that's a, that's a, a standout example how that works is going to be something you know is something that will be uh, monitored over the next six ten months to see what that looks like but I think that's that's something radical that sits within an institution a well-known institution is is about art but is also about supporting the artists and that's a way, I think, that we can start using the infrastructures that we have available in order to, to change and support and build um, against what is what, what we're being sort of funneled into and pushed into as artists. Uh, now, now you spoke basically of a, a social environment that in some senses is losing its way and looking for light at the end of the tunnel or, or light in a further off place. Where do you think that's really going to come from? It will come from the next generation of artists. Yeah. It will come from people we've not heard of yet, we don't know who they are, we don't really know they exist yet. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it'll be my seven-year-old nephew, it'll be someone's five-year-old daughter, it will be... It, I, I'm, I'm hoping it will be from the Southern Hemisphere yeah. as well, that it won't be from the, the Western world, that it will really be from the African continent or from the Latin American continent. More African countries are beginning to understand the, 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 the cultural capital, what cultural capital is, yeah. and how they can use it. Um, and how they can use it politically and economically, but socially as well. And as, as they be, you know, South Africa has lots of other problems going on at the moment. And it's probably one of the darkest spaces in, in, in the country's history in the last 20 years. But you're seeing artists grow, you're seeing whether that's um, market theatre, whether you're seeing you know, fine arts and visual arts, whether you're seeing fashion, all sorts of things are coming to the fore. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when it becomes, when you're backed up against a wall and you think that there's nothing else, all you do is you look, usually people look into themselves and go, all I've got is this, yeah. so I'm going to go with this because this is what I've got and this is what I know.
Is it a time for expression as well as... Yeah, else? yeah. I, th- I think that's probably it. You know, the time for the artist, but also a time for expression. And most of us, most, people, most artists are shut down in our expression with the usual roots. Yeah. So you go back to what you know. You go back to making art. You go back to writing, drawing, painting... Um, cutting, cutting cloth, and beginning to say, and just showing it, and putting, placing it out there. Thank you very much indeed. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Artist Eleanor Breeze and Denise Kill talked on their latest series, Motion Sickness, and a breakout session which looked at ways of accommodating artists in a city that's expanding, and the interests of developers conflicting with artists' space needs. So Motion Sickness, we are a group of three artists that met in Cambridge and we formed a collective to make some work together. And since August last year, we've got hold of a unit through the Line Yard. We're supported by the Line Yard. And that's Motion Sickness Project Space, which is where we programme a series of exhibitions from local and national artists. Um, now, we saw some great pieces there. Obviously, um, the man who had two lower halves uh, stuck together. <laughs> who, who did that one? Uh, that was from <laughs> that was by Will, and I can't pronounce his surname. Will Van Ra- Botersham. Van Botersham. And he is one of the artists. Uh, he graduated from ARU as well. Um, yeah. Uh, there was another great piece. I mean, I saw a number of pieces by yourself. You tell me a few, uh, about those, but there was also um, an electric chair, wasn't there? So, um, what was oh. that about? Oh, that was um, an ARU student, actually. So they, when was, that was our exhibition back in December, I think. So yeah, that was a a very popular piece, our exhibition for sure. That was quite an eye-catching one. So there's a couple of eye-catchers now. What were your pieces? My work, well, the very first show that we had back in August, I had some work in that. And I do everything from digital prints to sculpture to video work. So yeah, I had lots, lots of bits and pieces. And what kind of responses have you been getting from people uh, very positive, very positive. People are just happy to see art space in Cambridge. Um, you know, it's lost so many disused spaces that, you know, have no purpose. So we're glad to be filling them and giving them purpose again and function. Um, Ellie, what was your work all about? Um, so I did um, I did a piece about Amber Rose, the, um, what, what does she do? She's a kind of social media public, a public figure, isn't she? Um, so that was kind of around uh, feminism and whether, whether it's useful to have people that... Um, kind of posing their bodies naked on for the sake of feminism is that helpful so something around that and then um yes yeah, some sculptural pieces as well uh, there was a thing with some heads wasn't there uh, yeah 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 so heads heads of people that i used to date yeah okay. which was just kind of like a jokey like a jokey thing around uh, the artist muse kind of yeah theme what's that piece called uh, it was called uh, delusions of grandeur it was De- called yeah delusions of grandeur, about people who used to date yes <laughs> yes <laughs> Now, what's brought you to the Cambridge Artists Network conference this time? So we've been invited along to take part in a panel around creative infrastructure in Cambridge. Because we're doing this thing with the space, the empty spaces, I suppose what we want to be saying is that more people should be doing this, more artists Mm. should be getting in touch with landlords, and even if it's just temporarily occupying spaces. Um, Do you think there's a need to kickstart the the public artwork scene in Cambridge again? Because it seems to have kind of stalled to a certain amount. I know a lot of that's got to do with um, a cut in funding, but also the lack of energy that there's been recently. I mean, Motion Sickness was a great um, bucking the trend in terms of, because there used to be masses of those things going on mm. in Cambridge. Um, and it does need kickstarting again, don't you think? Yes, 100%. And I think the artists of Cambridge need to mobilise and, uh, you know, yeah. get get active and 
pursuing space. Now, what was your talk on? So, yeah, so the talk is more like a panel, and it was about discussing how, as Cambridge is expanding, how we can make sure that creativity is kept at the core of that. And obviously that involves making sure there's space for artists, but the trouble is around, obviously, making it financially viable for the developers and stuff like that. I think there's a bit of a conflict of interest at the moment. And I suppose we were there from the point of view of artists that are are doing doing stuff at ground level, just grassroots stuff. Uh, right, now, uh, who were the other members of the group and what did they say? What were they saying? So it was Michelle Lord from from Cambridge City Council, yeah. uh, I think, yeah. and David from South Ca- South Cambridge. And they're, yeah, both talking about what the councils are doing to work with landlords and businesses to kind of make more space for artists. But Now, what kind of problems are artists um, actually um, suffering from in 2020 in order to get themselves off? The- it's tricky to... So, A, a there's space, because space, especially in a city like Cambridge, it's so expensive, um, and so landlords, don't, it's, it's not worthwhile. They can get more money developing ha- buildings into homes and properties to let rather than using the studios, so it's difficult to find space, and then it's also f- difficult to find space to show in, um, which is why we're so lucky with the Lion Yard, um, mm-hmm. able to show exhibitions from artists that's a really important part of our practice and now a great number of the artist studios that were purpose-built you know that lasted since the Mm. 60s have recently been taken out of circulation turned into luxury flats all Mm. that kind of stuff that must be a trend that must be quite worrying if you're if you're on the bread line and trying to get something together it is it's really frustrating that that's being prioritized and that you know money kind of can defeat the arts but I think we're relentless and I think the arts will keep going regardless of what barriers we face but it would be very good for us to be able to obtain more uh, landmass for sure great okay so and um, what exhibitions are coming up soon with you two so we've got the uh, Cambridge Wide Open, which is our, we put out an open call to Cambridge artists, and that will be open from the 5th of March, or it opens in the evening on the 5th of March, and then it'll be open until the 22nd of March, and that'll be loads of, like, about 40 local artists. It's actually relaunching Motion Sickness, so we're moving to a new location at Unit 46 at the Lion Yard, so it will be a really exciting event, and you should definitely come. Okay, dates for that? Uh, yeah, so it opens on the 5th from 6 till 9pm and then um, it will be open Wednesdays from 5 till 8 and Fridays to Sunday from 11 till 4pm until the 22nd of March. Thank you both very much for sparing us some time to talk to you. Oh, thanks Thank for having you. us. Thanks for having us. The City Council has long-term plans to factor in the provision of facilities for the arts into the city's future programme and also to link arts development to wider issues in the community, people with issues or in recovery, or who need creativity for personal development as well as work. Art has been identified as an important way out of crippling social problems, but the lack of places to do it is becoming a problem. Here's City Council Culture and Community Manager Jane Wilson. How's this year's conference um, been for you, and, and how does it compare with previous years? It's been a really good day. It's always excellent to get the kind of collective thinking of the creative sector in the city um, for a day and today it was no different and really nice to focus on how we support the next generation into creative careers. The council has a real commitment to ensuring that everyone benefits from all of the um, opportunities that are available in the city and that means all our young people. So our our role is an important part of what we do is to make sure that everyone Uh, growing up and living and working in the city can benefit from what's here. The findings of the day were a series of new messages from the panel. People who've made it in the arts should share the journeys they went on to become a successful creative and let other people know who supported them. 
Artists should let people know how challenging work experience can be to break into the creative industries so that they can plan a career. Artists in Cambridge need to mobilise and fight for space. The need for equal opportunities for people with our cultural and economic capital and cultural entitlement for everyone in the city should be a right. For artists to have faith in an industry and fight for a rich cultural and creative future. That you need passion to make a creative career work and some realistic marketing help and that having your say can in fact damage your employability. Delegates asked the City Council to ask the upper echelons of the Cambridge community to fund the arts more and also to centralise resources and establish good practice to found apprenticeships for in creative industries and to foster relationships for empty art spaces for arts projects. Although there was plenty more, people left having generated new enthusiasm and the arts in Cambridge are set to bounce back this summer with a good number of public arts projects. More on those in the coming weeks. All in all, it was a day well worth participating in. I'm Simon Burton. You're listening to Cambridge 105. Cambridge 105 Radio.